We're third-generation family business owners. Our dad ran the business for 50 years. Our grandfather and dad did a tremendous job of innovating of the product and then taking it globally and making it such a success 67 years later. Our grandfather and then our dad also just thought that women couldn't run businesses, that their brains just weren't a match to the needs there, maybe a bit too emotional. So we had to really kind of stretch ourselves to find a way to realize how we could be a meaningful part of our family business when six years ago, the chance actually came up. What we are adding on top of a great foundation is bringing the heart into business. And I know (laughs) our dad could be rolling around in his grave right now going, okay, what is all this fluffy stuff? What is it like to be told your whole life? Nope, you're not suited to get involved with the family business because, well, you're a female. Then seemingly out of nowhere, something very unexpected happened and you realize that Wait, well, actually, never mind. You could lead the family business, in fact, from the board level. But are you equipped to get involved as a board member or even as a board chair? What if you don't even know what the word governance meant? And how would management and employees react to you as a new owner? How can you still leave a positive impact? Hi. My name is Esther Choi, the executive producer and your host of the John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises' own podcast series, Family in Business, a podcast that features stories of leaders, their families, and the family enterprises they transformed. In this episode of Family in Business, we are continuing our theme of purpose, and we are trying out a brand new format. Instead of me preparing and asking questions to our guest, our two guests in this episode have prepared and asked each other questions. I and along with my family business experts won't come in until the end. In this new format, my guests prepare their own questions to explore the journey that they've taken together on their shared and evolving purpose, one that even six years ago, they didn't think was possible. My guests are gracious enough to let us in on this intimate conversation between them, two sisters who grew up having no idea that one day they would become family business owners and board chair and director. And who are the sisters? My name is Stephanie Jackson, and I am excited to be interviewing my younger sister, Kim, today. Hi, I'm Kimberly Paxton Hagner. Well, Kim, I think people would be surprised that they have probably handled our product on a daily basis, probably most of their entire lives. Yeah, Steph, I think that is kind of surprising to realize that so many people already know us without knowing us. Our company's name is QuickLock, and that's spelled K-W-I-K-L-O-K. And the reason you probably are familiar with it, because it's most likely in your pantry right now, might be in your junk drawers, it's the little tab that most people see on the end of a bread bag 
So it closes your bread, your tortillas, your apples, and other produce. And our grandfather, Floyd Paxton, invented that 67 years ago. So it's amazing to think about how many people know about us without realizing they know. Exactly. We have so many people that will say, oh my gosh, I wish I could have invented something like that. Well, QuickLock also produces the machines, the closing heads that put that lock onto the different bags. We also produce printers because a lot of the locks are able to be printed on. So it's all about keeping food fresh and safe, as well as traceability. And it all taps into sustainability ultimately, because food waste is one of the largest um, problems that we have as far as uh, carbon goes. Our dad ran the business for 50 years, and then he suddenly passed away six years ago. So we found ourselves in a place we never expected to be because we were not groomed to run the business. Our grandfather and then our dad also just thought that women couldn't run businesses, that their brains just weren't a match to the needs there, maybe a bit too emotional. So we had to really kind of stretch ourselves to find a way to realize how we could be a meaningful part of our family business when six years ago, the chance actually came up. You know, there's three of us. We talk about three sisters that were raised by a dad who doesn't think that women can run businesses, but yet a mom in her mid-50s decided to get her master's degree and buy her first Harley Davidson motorcycle to ride around the U.S. So uh, kind of a yin and yang of influence there. Right. And Steph, so we had those two influences in our life. So how do you think that they kind of impacted you? Well, I would say that dad, you know, just being who he was and how he was raised really was about unfortunately, quieting our voices. And our mom was the total opposite on amplifying those voices. I chose to be influenced, you know, more that my voice mattered. I didn't want to be in the background. And so when this chance came, it was an interesting thing to think about. Part of the gift that mom gave us also is to look at ourselves as three sisters, as unique human beings. We didn't have to be like each other. And each of us brought something to the table that was of value. It was a real treat to be able to have her in my life because unlike you, Stephanie, as the middle child, I am an introvert and I'm a quiet thinker. So I'd rather be alone than try to fit in. (laughs) And I think you are maybe a little bit different. I am the extrovert of the family. I've been known to be the risk taker, the challenger, and deeply passionate. Yes, we are definitely very different. And then we have a younger sister, Melissa, who is kind of a blend of both of us. And we really um, have figured out, which is really neat, to leave room for us all to be different and who we are. And so that is why she is not here today with us, <laughs> because public speaking is not her jam. And uh, we respect that. Our main thing is we want to work together. Well, so let me ask you a question, Kim. What is your earliest memory of our family business? Oh, my gosh. I can remember being quite small, and uh, we lived in Yakima, Washington, and that's where the headquarters of QuickLock is. And so walking into the lobby there in Yakima, they had a built-in 
planter box. And instead of seeing soil right on the surface, you saw all the colorful bits, which were the little pieces of plastic punched out of the quick locks. And so they kind of look like the playing card spades. And so I remember running my fingers through those, probably putting some in my pockets. And that's one of my biggest memories from there. Oh, that is funny. What about you, Stephanie? I totally remember that. I mean, I was just so, you know, again, walking in there probably like at six years old going, wow, this is really cool. (laughs) And the other thing that I remember, oh my gosh, is back then. So this is in, gosh, the early 70s, walking into grandpa's office, you know, shag carpet, wood paneling on the walls and seeing several animal heads all over the office. Oh, yes. A pheasant, you know, an elk, a boar's head. (laughs) Oh, I remember the boar's head. And I especially love that because grandpa put a pair of his old reading glasses on the boar's head. So that was always there on the wall. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was thrilling and uh, scary all at the same time. Well, Stephanie, we're now, gosh, six years into this new journey of ours together. And I know at many times during it, we had to ask ourselves why we want to stay as owners. So I want to ask you that now. What was your answer to that? Well, to be incredibly honest, I didn't think that we could be owners at first. We had never been groomed in the business. We had not worked a day at the company. I was actually asked to be on the board by dad, but it was truly to be an ornament and don't speak and don't ask any questions. Right. (laughs) So when this opportunity came, it was at first, you know, like, oh my gosh, I I don't think we could do this. Uh, We haven't worked in the company. We're not going to be owner operators. This seems very challenging. How could we really make meaningful impact in our company? How could we get the employees to trust us? Right. But what I soon learned, and I think you along with you and Melissa, is that this liability that we thought, you know, of not working in the company actually has turned out to be a great asset. You know, we realize that we are not entrenched in it. So we come with fresh eyes, fresh ideas, and also being females, you know, which is, again, very rare in this very male dominant industry of manufacturing. You know, we bring that diverse mind around how to solve different problems, different solutions. What about you? What was your thought when this opportunity first came? I really had to search quite a while to figure out how we could add value as we were learning about the business, because I needed to understand how we could be owners and not be operators. I had no idea that you could be an owner at the governance level. I didn't even know the word governance. <laughs> and the other part of it is it's really easy to listen to the people that think you should just sit on the sidelines. And so there was a push at first for us to just sit quietly So it was interesting to basically realize that we could sit on the board and we can be an asset to the business. Um, We can bring a new perspective and also connect the employees back to the business in a way that they had been connected, work at the heart and soul of the family. And the family really is an asset to the business. We have a long-term view. 
We are tied to our community. We care deeply about how our employees do. I mean, all of those things layered in are a natural fit to us. And then also we've learned to add to our extended group of people to be able to give us advice that was maybe a little less emotionally connected to the moment than my sister might be. So we each have our advisors on the outside that are well-versed in business and governance issues that were able to help us find a way to really step fully into this new position as ourselves. To do both of those things at the same time was kind of hard at first. What about you, Stephanie? Well, you touched on what has been very important to me is to have outside people I call it in my corner, you know, to process things about business who, you know, have great minds, but also are cheering me on, believing in me and reminding me, hey, hey, you do deserve to be there. Right. You deserve to ask those questions. You don't know everything. And that's okay. You know, we got to find out, you know, one of my friends said, because, you know, I can go into a lot of self-doubt of, oh, you're not that smart. You really don't know. And she says, Steph, I'm not going to let you think that way because smart actually is the essence of being curious and being brave. And that is really where smart comes from. And you exemplify both those. And I was like, right on, you know, to, so to have those kind of people in your corner is essential. I have found out and like you have too. It is. And I think back to also the fact that the only example we had of how to do this were the two men in our lives, our grandfather and our father. So as women, not only had we not, we're not going to be owner operators, so it's going to be looked different. We also only had men as examples. So it's been great for me to find other women leaders to lean on, to see how they find their space in this and still tap into all of the things that makes them a powerful and valuable, unique human being. Yeah. I would also just add on to one of the challenges I just remember is Again, having the instinct that I know that our company can have great impact, you know, outside of selling the thing we sell and be very financially successful, I truly believed in my gut that, wait, we're here to do more. And at first, again, that was a different way of doing business. And so the challenge was being pushed up against an old guard of like, well, that's not how we do things. And then when I started using words like corporate social responsibility, (laughs) (laughs) that was like a new language. And it was met with like, oh, yeah, I think I heard that that's a report which I'm kind of going, ah, it's more than that. But I've learned that, you know, the door was opened. Be patient, which is definitely not one of my strong characters. I might have helped with that a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. Not one of my strong character traits. And you know what? We were wonderfully surprised that people earlier than later came on board and realized that some of the things that we were asking them to do were going to be not just a report, they were going to really be integrated into our entire company. It was literally a way of doing business. Right. And so if I could say anything is just have the courage and follow your instincts. And then, you know, again, give people time to, you know, get on board and to catch up, to catch up, to be um, okay with change. Right. We know that we can do both. We can do good and do well. And it's been such a really cool last six years journey of leading from that, you know, maybe not knowing all the answers, not knowing how. That's a thing that I think we do really well, too, is the fact that we know when we don't know the answers. 
So uh, we ask a lot of questions. I tend to be the one that asks questions constantly. If I recall myself at the board meetings, they're probably sick of me going, oh, there she goes again. One of the questions is, why are we doing this? <laughs> can, be, can be one of my blanket questions, you know, constantly is, you know, this isn't making sense to me. Please explain. Not being entrenched in this is the way we've done it, you know, because it's all new to me and, and Kim, that we ask a lot of why are we doing this? I think is a true gift, you know, to give any of our leadership and our people to answer that and to hear themselves say out loud, like, well, because that's the way we've always done it has been some of the answers, you know, and then we go, well, can you provide a little deeper answer to that? And then there might be, well, I don't know why, or because your dad said so. was a lot of the leadership that uh, my father had, you know. Uh, he definitely was hail Jerry and uh, what he said goes. And so I believe us asking just a little bit to that next question, you know, why is this still serving us? Is this still working? One of the questions I had when I came in is we have plants all over the globe. So we are in the U.S., Canada, Japan, Ireland, Australia, and I came in as a newbie saying, you mean the plant managers don't talk to each other? They aren't sharing best practices? Because our plants are not unique beasts necessarily. They might have a slightly different layout, but they're trying to accomplish a lot of the same tasks. How can we all be and act as one unit and share things that helped each other out. That was one of the things that I remember pushing on was understanding why we weren't talking to each other more. (laughs) Yeah. And now we call it one quick lock. You know, we really use the language of how are we as a global company being consistent in our messaging, being consistent in our practices, the experiences our employees are having and our customers. And we have found out, again, what backs our instinct, that the employees love it. They love being engaged with all the different plants. They love that, you know, they actually felt like they were alone, you know, in a silo. And that's the way it was. But now that they're giving the chance to interact, it's added a new excitement and energy to our company. From Stephanie and Kimberly's conversation, we've heard a story of how even when heirs of family enterprises were not groomed to succeed the family business, they still have abundant opportunities to contribute as owners. In their story, the fresh perspectives have created tremendous and positive impact on setting the company's corporate strategy and readiness for the future. They have been able to do so from the board level. If you found even some of the dilemmas that the Paxson sisters had faced resonated with you, keep these three key points in mind. Number one, make sure you have trusted advisors and friends on your side. You don't have to and shouldn't do it alone. Number two, show your management team your curiosity and be transparent with the areas where you have little knowledge by asking questions, lots and lots of it. Number three, being firm about what you expect your executive team to accomplish. Kim said it best with the purpose statement that she and her younger sister, Melissa, put together for Quicklock. Melissa 
and I worked on this, and it was amazing how long it took to really mine the exact words we wanted. But this is our core purpose, to create a world where people feel they matter, knowing their contributions will change the future and help all beings thrive. That is a both specific and inspiring purpose statement. But what does that mean? To break it down, here are some of the major questions and components for QuickLock's employees that are especially important to the Paxson sisters. You know, how do you feel at work? Do you feel that you matter to the company? Do you feel engaged? Are you excited to wake up and walk through the doors? Is your work meaningful? Because meaningful work is so important to each of us as individuals to not provide that opportunity to the people in our company just seems not possible. We have to have people feel like they have meaning when they're doing their work. Coming up next, I will be talking to two family enterprise experts on questions such as, why is coming up with a purpose statement so challenging and time-consuming? And what are the key things next-generation owners should keep in mind during ownership transition? And also, I asked Stephanie and Kimberly this question. So suppose you now have an opportunity to leave a voicemail message for your father, Jerry Paxton. What would you say to him? Stay tuned and find out what's in that voicemail. Welcome back to Family in Business. By the way, you probably know that Kellogg's Ward Center for Family Enterprises has been running many popular and in-demand executive education programs for over 20 years. But what you may not know is that you can actually contact us with your specific questions about family enterprise challenges so we can identify resources to help you meet those challenges. Just write to us. Our email address is familyenterprises at kellogg.northwestern.edu. That's familyenterprises, all in one word, at kellogg.northwestern.edu. The email address is in our show notes as well. Okay, back to Kimberly and Stephanie. The purpose statement that Kim shared with us is really heartfelt and yet specific to what she and her two sisters want QuickLock to achieve. She also mentioned how long it took her and Melissa to mine the exact words. I want to know why this process can take so long. Purpose is really hard to intuit your way to the answer. Like, I'm going to develop a purpose. It can be a dry well. You just have to take part of it and figure out where that is. That is an interesting angle to purpose. Who is speaking here? Hi, I'm Rob Lachenauer. I'm managing partner of Banyan Global Family Business Advisors. We're an advisory business. Our clients are owners of typically very large family businesses. And our service essentially is to advise and help them in making great decisions together. And it's usually about kind of the tough things that family business owners can face. If you've ever drafted up your purpose statement, you can probably relate to why it can be time-consuming and difficult to intuit your way to the answer. So 
what are we supposed to do when we try to craft our purpose statement? Here's Rob again. I believe purpose is best found not directly saying, what's your purpose? I often find a more specific way to get to purpose is through a more simple idea, which are owner goals. What is your goal here? It's a more concrete question than like, what's your purpose? Purpose is a big word. The goals questions, they're more concrete and specific. Questions like, why do you own these assets together? It's kind of a stunner question for most owners. Like, well, because granddad gave them to us. No, that's we call that surface purpose. We try to get into, no, really, you could sell tomorrow. Why do you not sell the business tomorrow is another way to start getting into the space around purpose. And goals for privately owned companies, including family businesses, typically come in three forms. You can grow your business. You can bring out money from it, liquidity. Or you can control your business to do certain things. And it's a trade-off among those three goal sets. And then we go deep into those goals. Well, do you want to grow your business? Do you want liquidity from your business? Do you control it for specific reasons? Most clients can start answering those quickly. And we can then kind of back our way into something like purpose. So starting from articulating more concrete goals in terms of growth, liquidity, and control, and then back your way into purpose strikes me as a very smart and pragmatic approach. Rob also has additional insights on why drafting your purpose statement can take a while. Family businesses are owned by people or trusts and then people behind them. So setting owner goals and strategy and purpose is a very personal thing owners get to set the rules. They set their own goals. Now, well, that's both great and a little bit scary because <laughs> like, if you're asked the question, well, really, what do you want from your life, from your business? It's almost like the purpose thing. It's a little bit big and scary. We really believe family business is a team sport. As you're figuring out what you want, you got to figure out what we want. And that's a big task. Purpose has some of life's biggest questions baked into it. And family business owners have to figure these big questions not just for themselves individually, but for the whole collective. Now, on the other hand, I'm really curious about the employees and management's perspective. Like Rob mentions, owners get to set the rules. It's their right to call the shot. But as the next generation owners transitioning into leadership, like the Paxton sisters did, but they hadn't worked in the business, weren't groomed to lead the enterprise, had no prior academic background or professional training in the industry that the family business operates in, and yet they have fairly concrete ideas on how to lead the company and what goals it should go after. How would employees and management team react to this? Yeah, I think there's a really fine line there. Like I can actually perceive being on the management side of what you're saying and feeling like, hey, wait a minute, you don't know. You're questioning what I'm doing, right? And you don't know what I'm doing. That's Professor Jennifer Pendergast, Executive Director of Kellogg's Ward Center for Family Enterprises. But oftentimes the outside questions are the best ones, but what you need is a culture 
where people are open to hearing that and not personally attacked by doing it. Because the problem is if what I immediately hear is you're doing that wrong, I'm not even going to listen. I'm just going to shut down and say, Esther, you don't know diddly squat about this business. I have an excuse not to listen to you. So you're going to have to convince me why I should listen to you. And by the way, the built-in excuse that's a stick, which is I'm the owner, so you have to listen to me, is much less effective than the carrot, which is I'm just really curious and I want this business to be the best that it can. And please don't take this as criticism or take it as curiosity. But you got to actively communicate that. And I think you have to earn the right to say those things. I think you have to build the relationship. All this is foundational in in any business, any relationship is trust, right? So I have to trust that you have good intentions, that you're coming from the right place, that your idea isn't to attack me or get fired, but that we're all trying to achieve the same goal. But if you do that before establishing the trust, it can become very difficult. So I think the foundation of trust is important. And then openly articulating why it is you're doing this which is why having a well-thought-out and articulated purpose statement is so helpful in establishing trust. Owner can set rules and expectations, but it is the employees who carry them out and make their goals or purpose a reality. I think there's work you have to do as a family to communicate your intentions to management and also your commitment you know, what we're hoping to do is be supportive of you and, you know, help you make this a great company by ensuring we keep enough money in the business and that resources are dedicated and that we're paying people well and can attract good people and that we're all proud of the name that's on the door, you know, so that we all view this as something, you know, and I think the other thing that active owners can do that can be really helpful is say, we actually intend to keep this business for the long term. Because I think a lot of people worry at that transition where there's no longer a family member running the business. Oh, you know, how long is it going to be till these people are going to sell? Because to, you know, to management and, you know, leadership and even employees, what you're really worried about personally is I'm investing myself in a career in this place. Will it still be around? And will it be around and run the way that it is right now under this family, which I've come to enjoy? So actually the fact that the Paxton sisters are present can be a really good thing because it demonstrates that there's a longer-term family commitment to this business. One thing struck me most as QuickLock experienced an unexpected ownership transition six years ago when then-G2 owner and CEO Jerry Paxton passed away suddenly is this. Not only did his three adult daughters had to grieve over the loss of their father, They also had to figure out what this loss meant to each of them in terms of their own role with the family business. It's probably a huge understatement to say that they were at a forked road. Even as the sisters stood at that forked road, imagine what QuickLog employees and management must have wondered as the sisters contemplated their decisions. And then once they did reach their decisions and then set the directions, management employees learn about things like sustainability, direct communications across the international plans, and that the new owners fully intended to bring their hearts to the business. As Stephanie ascertained that her dad 
would probably roll around in his grave and wondered, what's this fluffy stuff? Here's what Rob has to say. It's essential for successful transitions to be as transparent as you possibly can. As you talk about in your podcast, it should be a slow process and as transparent as you can say to the management team all the time as you're changing leadership at CEO or whatever we're talking about, there will always be a change in style. To me, this uh, engineering to heart is just an example of there's always a change in leadership style. And you have to talk about it and be explicit and hopefully celebrate it. We learned that oftentimes like G1 is a conqueror. They just get out and they take new land. And do, 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 do. Oftentimes when you're out to G3, G4, G5, the best leadership model is not a conqueror because you like roll over your cousins. It's a ruler. And by ruler, we mean someone who's, who's actually very adept politically. Because basically in that time of starting the business, that was the necessary skill. In the time of running the business, the ruler is the right business model. It's a failure when the future generations try to import the previous generation's you know, conqueror's way. And you know, if you're going to be a good politically, you're going to win people's hearts and minds. That actually sounds quite like the Paxson sisters. Over six years ago, they were at a crossroad where they weren't sure if they wanted to stay on as owners because, well, they've been told their whole life not to bother. So I asked this question to Stephanie and Kimberly. Say you're leaving a message, a voicemail for your dad right now. What would you like to leave him? Hey, Dad, I know you were coming from a place of protecting us by not bringing us into the company because it's stressful and it's hard and it is a lot of responsibility. But guess what? We're doing a great job. They are doing a great job, despite having tremendous doubt in their ability to lead initially. But this initial doubt And one particular fear that Stephanie had ended up neutralizing each other. I spoke a lot about this fear of when both of our parents passed within about a year and a half, you know, they were the family glue. Parents were our glue. And I, you know, as the oldest sister and deeply into family thought, oh my gosh, you know, what's going to keep us together? And so saying yes to uh, running this business with you guys has provided tremendous family glue and has lowered my anxiety. I'm, it's really one of my dreams to be working with you guys. You know, I love that you, Stephanie, that you use the word family glue because there's this quote that we in our family have kind of have a deep connection to. And it just, you remind me of it because it's one by Maya Angelou. And um, we actually used it at mom's celebration of life. But it's that uh, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And when I think about this quote, I think of you a lot often because it is one that you live by. First of all, I have to like stop crying right now. Um, I know. Yeah, that quote has always hit my heart. And I think that's the crux of it is uh, I think that is the essence of life, of how you make people feel is the magic, right? 
Thank you for tuning into Family in Business, a podcast sponsored by the John I. Ward Center for Family Enterprises. We're nearing the end of season two. In the next and last episode, you will find out how one family enterprise leader narrowly escaped death. And that experience showed him the one purpose that he had always meant to live for. You don't want to miss that story. Thank you, Stephanie Jackson and Kimberly Paxton Hagner. True to form, you are trailblazers and so open to innovative ideas such as this StoryCorps style interview format. Thank you also, Karen Reed, Global Director of Marketing and Communications at QuickLock for setting this interview up. And of course, we are so delighted to have learned from Rob Lickenauer, co-founder and CEO of Banyan Global Family Business Advisors. He's also the co-author of a great book by Harvard Business Review called Family Business Handbook. Our show is supported and advised by Professor Jennifer Pendergast, Executive Director of Kellogg's Ward Center for Family Enterprises. Kane Power is our audio engineer, and I'm Esther Choi, an adjunct lecturer at Kellogg's Ward Center, founder of Leadership Story Lab, and author of the book, Let the Story Do the Work. Don't forget that you can contact the Ward Center so we can help you identify resources that can specifically address the particular challenges that you and your family enterprise are facing. Email us at familyenterprises at kellogg.northwestern.edu.